Hello, welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Jesus, thank you for your word. And it is what we need. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege and honor of leading this church in your word. And I pray, I ask that you would help me to rightly divide your word, O God. And Lord, that not what I say, but what you say would impact our lives, would mold and shape us, that we would see just how much you love us, O God. For that is the gift of Christmas, and that is the grace that comes through our Savior being born. Bless this time in your word. I pray that our hearts would be ready to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we do start, just one other note, um, I'm more on a serious note. Um, today is December 15th, and it was six months ago today that Pastor Dave passed away. And so, as we head into Christmas and the new year, continue to pray for Carla and Rebecca and Tim and Amy and Nathan and Deb, because they're still in a lot of pain. And, uh, and, 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 for those of you that have lost people around that are, are, are close to you, it, the holidays makes it harder. And especially the first one is going to be incredibly difficult. They're traveling. They're not here today. Deb is here, but uh, the rest of the family is traveling. Continue to pray for them. And they need it. And uh, um, I, I said at first service, they're, they're, not a day goes by that I have not thought about Pastor Dave. I miss him greatly. I think we all do. But for the rest of us, it's kind of easier to move on and, and, and perhaps to, just to, to press on. Life goes on. But for their family, it, it's still a very present, very real wound. And so continue to pray for them. Okay? Appreciate that. John chapter 5. All right. We saw last week... Jesus walks to the pool of Bethesda. The word Bethesda means the house of mercy. And certainly, as Jesus shows up, it was this pool where all the sick and the lame and the blind hung out in hopes that they would receive healing from the, the rising up of the waters in the pool. And truly, it becomes a house of mercy when Jesus arrives. He interacts with an individual man, a man that was an invalid, that he was lame. He wasn't able to get to the pool. Uh, he was hoping that somebody would provide him the assistance he needed. Jesus says, do you want to be healed? And the man says, I'd love to be healed, but I don't have anybody to get me into the pool. Jesus said, I didn't ask you if you wanted to be put in the pool. I asked you if you wanted to be healed. And, and so our what we glean from that is don't limit God to working the way that we would expect Him to work. We open to the way that God would want to work in our lives and, and be ready for that. Okay? Now, as he heals the man, the man takes up his mat and he walks home. And, and the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, see this man walking with his mat and they take issue. Why? Well, because this was that special day of the week called the Sabbath. And they had their traditions and their rules 
loosely based on the word of God and the, the law that had been given, but they expanded that and, and, and they made it a tradition of man that would say, you can't do that. You can't pick up your mat and walk on, on this day of the Sabbath. You're breaking the rules. And they were more concerned with a rule broken than a life mended. They, they, they could care less that this guy who had been sick for a very long time was healed. They're, they're more upset that the rule was broken. And they take issue with Jesus for healing on the Sabbath. Okay, So that's about where we left off last week. Now what we're going to see, the rest of the chapter, is a, a discourse by Jesus, the Son of God, uh, a defense of why He heals on the Sabbath, why He does what He does, and why He chooses to break their rules, if you would. Okay, so the rest of the chapter is his defense. It's Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, and that's where we're going to pick up in verse 16. John chapter 5, verse 16. It says, For this reason, the, re- the reason that he healed on the Sabbath, for this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. Now that we read that. I hope you, you hear the intensity in that. Have you ever been so upset with somebody over a rule that they broke that you wanted to kill them? Perhaps if you're honest, somebody might say, yeah. That's where these guys were at. That's the rage that was going on in their heart. They were so upset that the, the, the only thing, the only justice that they could see served was that Jesus should die for the rule that he broke. Again, more upset that a law was broken than a man was healed. And that they did this on the Sabbath. And he answers, verse 17, but Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now, and I have been working. So that's his defense. That's his response, his reply. He says, you know what? My father's been working until now, so I continue working. God is working. God does not rest. God does not take a day off. God never misses anything. He never turns his back and something happens behind him. He doesn't miss a single thing. God never rests. Never for a moment. Just for a minute, think if he did. What would happen to this world? It's it's unfathomable to your mind. It's unfathomable to my mind. But just for example, Romans would tell us he puts leaders into position. If he took his hands away from that, he he's sovereign over those things. Then the world would go crazy. And, and I think probably the greatest testimony would be the Word of God tells us that He actually holds us together. You guys understand the basic science that, that you know, the, in the atom, the atom shouldn't work because of the positive forces and how they're working together. It just, it, it doesn't make sense. You've put the two magnets together, right? The positive against the positive, and what happens? They repel each other. Well, they, people don't, they can't explain how in an atom that stays together. Yet, they, they even call it the God glue. If God took the day off, you would go, your atoms would just split and and you would become the nuclear bomb, the biggest nuclear bomb, and, and, and you would be no more if God took a day off. God never 
rests. And we can be thankful for that. Now, I know what some of you, your scholars are thinking. You're like, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. Genesis chapter 1, he did rest. He created for six days and then he rested. Yes, he rested from creating. But he didn't kick back in the Barca lounger and turn on the NFL <laughs> and, and say, hey, boy, get me a beer. You know, he didn't do that. He didn't, he didn't, he doesn't rest. What he did in that is he demonstrates for you and I that a pattern that we should live our lives. That one day in seven, we are to rest. One day in seven, we're called to rest. Now, you could hear that one of two ways. Uh, those of you workaholics out there, and I know we have workaholics in our church, you're like, oh, I got to take a day off every seven days. I got to take a day off. Yes, every seven, every seven days, rest. Stop working. Breathe. You need it. Your body needs it to recover. God laid out the example. Take a day off, you workaholic. Cut it out. <laughs> and then the other one is saying, I only get one day off in seven? <laughs> yeah, you only get one day off in seven. That means the other six you work, you lazy bum. Get to work. I don't know who you are. You decide that. <laughs> God has laid out a pattern that one in seven we rest. That is what is best for our lives. Just take a moment and breathe. It's good. But he says, my father has been working until now, and I have been working. He's saying, I, I, I'm just, I want to, I want to be like my dad. What it boils down to. It says in verse 18, therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also he said, also said that God was his father making himself equal with God. You understand that? As he claims, he says, my father is working until now, so I will work. As he says that, he is proclaiming himself as God because the son has the inherited rights of the father. In the, in the Jewish culture, in our culture today, to a certain extent, we we partake in that, that my son, Reese, has the blessings that I have. It's called the inheritance, and, and that's the, the things that I have, I give to him as I pass on uh, to him. Make sense? As we bring Kindu into the family, it's not uh, this, he doesn't have anything less than Reese does. He is adopted in, he's grafted in. Romans chapter 11 talks about how you and I are grafted in to the family of God, and we receive the inheritance, the blessing of God. Jesus is saying, My father is working till now, I am working till now. That makes him equal to God the Father. This blows the Pharisees' mind. And not only is he breaking the Sabbath, he is also blaspheming now. Are they right? No. Had it been anyone else saying that they were the son? Yes, they would have been correct. That would be blasphemy. But Jesus was and is the son of God. And so what he says is correct. But they don't understand that. And so they blow a gasket. Many of uh, the, the cults out there, the false religions, of the day today would say Jesus never claimed to be God. Yes, he did right there. Okay. It's right there. He claims to be God. Again, Jesus making his defense. He says in verse 19, then Jesus answered and said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself. 
but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. Okay, as Jesus is making his defense, what he says is, hey, I am just looking to my Father. My Father is laying out what it is that he has for me to do, and I am being obedient to that. I am modeling, Jesus is saying, I'm modeling my life after what the Father has laid out for me. What we see in that is a surrendered will. A surrendered will that Jesus, the Son, though fully God, says in in this economy, the way I will be obedient is I will surrender my will to God the Father and accomplish what He wants. That's Jesus' defense to these men. And what we can glean, what I want us to glean from this, is as Jesus is surrendered to the will of the Father, I pray that you and I would too. That we individually would say, Lord, have your way with me. Whatever you want of me is what I want with my life. And then on top of us individually doing that, I pray that we as a church, as Calvary Chapel Columbus, as we embark on 2014, that as a church, collectively, we would say, God, you've given us the corner of Bryce and Livingston. Have your way in this place. May your will be done. May your will be accomplished in this church. That we as as instruments in his hands would be willing to say whatever you want of us, because that's what Jesus said. I'm surrendered. I'm surrendered. Jesus models that surrendered will. He does nothing of Himself is what it says in verse 19. Here's what I want us to understand. That His Jesus' surrendered will to the Father is the way that He demonstrates His love of the Father. The way that Jesus expresses His love of His Father is that He is obedient to His will. And that's the way you and I do as well. When we become obedient to what God would have us do, that is the way that we express our love. The sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross is paramount to our faith, right? It's what our faith is centered around, that Jesus went to the cross and died a sinner's death, though He was perfect. In that, He atones for our sins. He pays the price of God's wrath that you and I might not have to go through that. That we would be forgiven of our sins. That's what is accomplished through the sacrifice of Jesus. And that is paramount to our faith. But I want to, what I want to venture to say, and this is, I believe this to be true, is that as important as the sacrifice on the cross is, the greater thing that Jesus did was that he was obedient to the will of the Father. That the obedience that Jesus had was greater even than the sacrifice that he made, though the sacrifice is paramount. I get that idea from 1 Samuel chapter 15, where the prophet Samuel says, 
Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Jesus is obedient to the will of the Father. What is the will of the Father? The will of the Father is that Jesus would be sacrificed. And that sacrifice is paramount to our faith. It's what we believe in. It's what we rest in. It's in the completed work of Jesus Christ. But it's because He was obedient to the Father that the sacrifice is even accomplished. And so therefore, the the sacrifice has a greater value. The, The obedience has a greater value than even the sacrifice that Jesus loved His Father so much that He could say, not my will be done, but yours. May, may, may you have your way with me. And we take our cues from that. We're to be like Jesus, a surrendered will, a surrendered life. If God as you're praying, spoke to you, impressed upon you, hey, I need a missionary in Siberia. And you're the man. What what would your response be? I'll pray for somebody. That's not obedience. It's really cold there. Yeah, but I'm sending you. The surrendered heart, the surrendered will would say, God, wherever you would have me go, I will go. Mm -hmm. I shared this when we went to Africa in August. I'll share it again. 13 years ago, 15 years ago, when Michelle and I were dating before, it's longer than that now, 16 years in March, we talked about adopting. Hey, Yeah, maybe if we can't have kids someday, maybe that would be cool. We would be willing to do that. For 13 years, didn't once think about it. Michelle maybe once in a while would, would think about it as she would confess that, but I did not once think about, hey, it's time for us to adopt, to adopt. And all of a sudden, one day, as I'm praying, God, have your way. Hey, Maybe it's time to adopt. And he plants that seed in my heart. Why? I'm building my kingdom over here, God. I got good things going on. I'm happy at the church. I'm leading. We've got, you know, we're finally getting out of debt. We're trying to pay some bills off. And you want us to shell out $50,000 for an adoption. And that doesn't make a whole lot of sense on a single income. We've got three kids already. Really, do you want me to do that, God? Yeah, I really do. Okay, I'll I'll pray about it. I'll talk, I'll talk to Michelle about it. And in the moment that he planted it in my heart, he planted it in her heart as well. The very week that we 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 got together, we were talking about it. Yeah, yeah. I think maybe it's time. I was looking at the websites this week. She says, and that was three years ago. Three years ago, Christmas. We tell our biological kids, hey. We feel like the Lord's land on our heart. It's time to adopt. Really? That they, that they accepted that? Because they could have been perfectly 
content to say, I mean, I wouldn't have put it past them to say, no, we don't want that. We don't want to bring somebody else into our family. But they are excited. God, we don't have the money. Like I said, single income. We're barely making ends meet. Don't worry about it. I'll provide for you. And he has every dime. Every dime. I I, I want to say, just as a side note, many of you have stepped up and helped us financially. And this would not be possible without you being obedient to what God has placed on your heart. So thank you. That, that this boy is coming home is not just a work of Chris and Michelle. It's a work of our church. It's a work of far bar. There, there are people we don't know. We have never met that somehow they got word that we were adopting and money ended up in our account because they were obedient to say, God placed on my heart. I want to give. Thank you. Thank you. Well done. Well done. So may we as a church, may we as individuals live surrendered lives just like Jesus was surrendered, obeying the voice of the Lord. Maybe that's what we give Jesus for Christmas this year. We're so worried about what we're getting each other. What are you getting Jesus for Christmas this year? Maybe we give Him, Lord, have Your way with me. Have Your way with me. Verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all things that He Himself does, and He will show Him greater works than these that you may marvel. The Father loves the Son. In that surrendered state, Jesus sees all the things that the Father is doing. I love that. Jesus just says, have your way with me, Lord. And, and, and the Father says, great, I'll have my way with you. I'm going to send you to sa- be sacrificed because I love the world. Okay. And He does. But in that surrendered state, we see the love that the Father has for you and I. It says in verse 21, For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom He will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. Did you hear that? The Father judges no one. He gives all judgment to the Son. Now this is important. I actually... Um, somebody handed me a, a message yesterday. I listened to it, and it was very insightful into this. And it kind of ties into John chapter 12. 5 and 12 go really well together in that what he's saying is that the Father takes the surrendered will of the Son. He, he, in that, he, he displays his love as, a, as Jesus is sacrificed. And in that sacrifice, John chapter 12 would tell us, that is where judgment happens. Jesus has the judgment of the world. And where that judgment happens is at the cross. The judgment of the world happens at the cross. Those who would believe in what the sacrifice is are judged in Jesus, the wrath of God poured out upon him, and we are forgiven and atoned for, and our judgment, we pass through the judgment. That's what it's getting ready to say in the next verse. We pass through the judgment because of the work that Jesus did on the cross. So we pass through to life. 
The, the, the judgment of the world also happens to those at the cross, happens at the cross to those that deny the sacrifice of the cross. Because in that, they are denying the work that the Father has done on, on their behalf, and they are then, they are then judged to death. Okay? So the, sac- the judgment of the world happens at the cross. John chapter 12 will kind of unfold that even in greater detail for us. The Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. That judgment happens at the cross. It says in verse 23 that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. That is a critical verse for our faith. That it is our responsibility to honor the Son in the way that we honor the Father. We worship a triune God. And what that means is we have one God, a God who is one in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And each, though distinct, are worthy of all of our worship. Okay? And so we don't worship the Son. We don't give Him any less honor than we give God the Father. Those that do that are in cults. They don't give the Son the same honor as the Father. That's a cult. He was just a created being. He was just a good teacher. He was, no, he is the Son of God. Okay? Most assuredly, I say to you, verse 24, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. Again, hearing and believing has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life because of the cross of Christ. Uh, his, his sacrifice, His obedience to the will of the Father, His sacrifice atones our sin. It pays for our sin. That's why when He was on the cross, He cried out, it is finished. What that means is I have paid the price. I have paid the price. My, my, the, the, the sacrifice is sufficient. The blood is sufficient because He was sinless. The, the sacrifice was spotless and perfect. All because of the cross, we pass from death into life. He absorbs our judgment. You guys understand that, right? As we follow Christ, it's not that Jesus just takes our sins and sweeps them under the rug. He doesn't just excuse us from our sin. He paid for them. So take this thought then. So take this thought. As God the Father looks at us through the lens of the blood of Jesus the Son, nothing you do will ever make Him love you any less. Nothing you do will make God love you any less because He loves you through the sacrifice of His Son. So it's not based on our merit. Our judgment has been passed. It happened at the cross. And so we can stand before a just God who, before we were in Christ, deserves to to damn us, to condemn us. We stand justified. When we get to heaven, 
God the Father is going to look at you and I and say, hey, Chris, hey, whoever, well done, thy good and faithful servant. And the mistake you and I make when we want to hear that is we say, yeah, I did a good job. You're not good. You're not faithful. Jesus is good. Jesus is faithful. And he sees you through Jesus. So when he says, well done, thy good and faithful servant, it's not because of anything you've done. It's because you believed in what Jesus has done. Your judgment has passed. You pass from death to life. And so we praise him for that. Where do we leave off? 25? (laughs) Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Who is dead? Who's dead? We all are. The Word of God would say that we are dead in our trespasses. We, we quote these verses all the time, but I, I don't want to just gloss over them. We need to look at them for a second. Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23. Very important verses. Romans 3.23 would say, All have sinned. All means all. That's all all means. All means all. All have sinned. Have you sinned? Yes. Why? Because you're all. You're part of all. I'm part of all. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God has a measure over here, okay? Six foot twelve, whatever it is. This is what I this is my standard. And this is where you have come up. This is where you measure. All have sinned and fall short of that measurement of glory. Okay? All have. Then the the, the follow-up verse would be Romans 6.23. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of that sin. What you and I have earned because that we, because we fall short of the glory, because we have all sinned, what you and I have earned is death. We deserve to die. We deserve damnation because we have all fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus says, I am raising the dead. Those that hear the voice of the Son of God, those who believe will live. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He granted the Son to have life in Himself and has given Him authority to execute judgment also because He is the Son of Man. You know what? Jesus did something that you and I can't do. He lived as you and I live. Philippians chapter 2 talks about the kenosis, the emptying of Himself, that He took on the, the limitations of man and in those limitations, those, those things that we as humans have, he did something that none of us can do. He lived a perfect, a sinless life. He never faltered once, always accomplishing the will of the Father. And in that, God has granted him the right to judge us because he did what we could not do. He lived a perfect, a sinless life. So he, it says, has been elevated to the right hand of the Father, the seat of judgment. And in that seat, then he can say, hey, I lived as you lived, I understand, but I lived it without sin, therefore I have the right to judge you who have sinned. 
those who hear his voice to life, those who that deny his voice to death. Verse 28, do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. I can of myself do nothing. There it is again. The surrendered will. I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is righteous because I don't seek my own, but the will of the Father who sent me. His entire life is all about accomplishing what his dad wanted. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. He demonstrates intimacy with God. And that intimacy comes from a surrendered will. Let me say that again. That's important. Intimacy with God comes from a uh, surrendered will. It's when you and I say, God, have your way with me, that he says, I will. And he draws you closer to him, closer than you've ever been before. Let me show you what I have planned for you. Let me show the, the life that I want you to live. Okay, Lord, take me where you would have me go. Whatever you would have of me. Siberia? Okay, let's go. Let's go. Whatever you want. Intimacy, that's what Jesus is demonstrating. Hey, those of you that are married, do you want the best marriage that you would ever have? You want the most intimate marriage that you would ever have? Live a surrendered life. Wake up each morning and say, it's not about me. I didn't enter this marriage to get the things that I want to get. I entered this marriage because I love somebody. What does love mean? Love means caring more about somebody else than you care about yourself. If you live that way, my, my will is surrendered inside this marriage. You have your way, whatever, however I can serve you. Your intimacy is going to grow by leaps and bounds. Because you're serving one another. That's what Jesus demonstrates in his relationship with the Father. That intimacy comes from a surrendered will. Okay, now as we finish out the chapter, what you're going to see is Jesus is really going to make his defense um, to these Pharisees in, in, in the way that they would understand, the, the limitation or the, rather the, the human court. And, and what the law of the day would say, and you and I would even say it in the American court of today, is that you cannot be a witness for yourself, uh, or that's not a strong enough witness. If I were to go up and, and to say, you know, um, yes, judge, um, somebody was murdered on this day, and I don't have any witnesses, but I, you just have to take me at my word, I wasn't there. I was busy doing something else. Um, the judge is going to go, uh, well, uh, you don't have any witnesses. That's not strong enough evidence. We have these things or what have you. Jesus says the same thing. I, they're expecting two or three witnesses. That's the way the court ruled in that day, is to say uh, a testimony is good based on two or three witnesses. Jesus says, fine, you want two or three witnesses that say that I'm the Son of God, I'll give you three. And that's what the rest of the chapter is, is these three witnesses. Verse 31 would say, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. And that's they would not accept his witness if it were just of himself. So verse 32 says, there is another who bears witness of me. And I know that the witness which 
witness which he witnesses of me is true. Say that five times fast. <laughs> you have sent to John and he has borne witness of the truth. Okay. So the first witness that he draws forth is to say, Hey, John the Baptist, he's my witness, right? He's the one that went before the forerunner, right? making the, the rough places plain, making the crooked straight, making the, the, the pathway of the Lord. Right? He's, he's the one as Jesus rolled on the seed, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's proclaiming, he's witnessing that Jesus is the Son of God. So that's Jesus' first witness to these Pharisees. You have John the Baptist bore witness to the truth. And then he goes on to say, yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you might be saved. In all of this, his hope is that these people would turn to him. He was the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. But I have a greater witness than John's for the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. So witness number two, witness number one, John the Baptist. <coughs> witness number two are the works that he's accomplishing. Hey, that I healed a man at Bethesda, that is a testimony that I have come in the will of the Father. Without the Holy Spirit working in us, you and I walking up to a lame man at a pool ain't going to have much hope, right? You've been there, right? You've stood on the edge of the pool. I, I think I can walk on water. I, I really do. I th you, you psych yourself up. You've been there, right? I'm not the only crazy one that's tried this, right? You're all like, what is he talking And you take that step and you end up at the bottom of the pool, right? <laughs> The, the, the works bear witness that he is the Son of God. He changed the water into wine. He heals the blind. He casts out demons. He, he causes the, blind, the lame to walk and the blind to see. He raises the dead. All those things are a testimony that he is the Son of God. The works that he has, is doing is witness number two. And then witness number three, verse 37. And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. So witness number one, John the Baptist. Witness number two, the works that he's done. Witness number three, the Father. I love that he says to the Pharisees, Psh, you've never even seen the Father. These religious rulers of the day, you don't even know what you're talking about. You've never even seen the Father. But he bears witness of me. Well, how? Well, one of two ways. The Old Testament Right, We have all the prophecies of the Old Testament to say, hey, this is who the Messiah is going to be, and that they, those prophecies are fulfilled in Jesus, proclaims Him to be the Son of God. You guys, you guys have heard the... Um, the uh, I'm going to mess it up, but the, the probability of one man fulfilling just eight of the prophecies of, of Jesus, right? Have you heard this before? For one man to fulfill... Fulfill... I'm excited. One man to fulfill eight of the prophecies of Jesus. It would be the, the probability of that happening would be like this. If you were to fill the state of Texas with silver dollars, Texas is big. Okay. Fill it up to your knees, the entire state. Then you take one of those silver dollars and you paint it red. You turn around and you chuck it as far as you can. Okay. It lands somewhere in Texas. Then you blindfold yourself and you reach in and you grab out a silver dollar. The odds of one man fulfilling eight of the prophecies of the Old Testament are equivalent to you picking the red silver dollar out of the state of Texas, knee deep. Okay? 
Jesus fulfilled over 200 prophecies of the Old Testament. That proves he is the Son of God, beyond a shadow of a doubt. Now, so that we have that as a witness, but we would also have at Jesus' baptism the witness of the Father, right? The heavens open up, the Spirit descends like a dove, and in that moment He says, the voice from heaven, the Father, says, this is my Son in whom I love. Behold, I'm, or this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. Good idea. And so in that moment, he bears witness. So we have John the Baptist, we have the works, and we have the Father. He has his testimony secure, but they're not willing to listen. It says in verse 40, you are not willing to come to me that you have life. Their ears are stopped. I do not receive honor from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. The religious rulers of the day, they're the, the pompous ones that they got it going on. They're the popular ones. They, everybody looks up to them. This guy rolls in from Nazareth, a carpenter's son who amounts to nothing in their eyes. And they're like, and he says, you don't love me. You don't have God in you. You don't, the love of God is not in you. I love it. Stepping on toes. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. Referring to the Antichrist. Verse 44, How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes only from God? That is important. Remember we talked about God has this measure of glory, six foot twelve. And you and I are way down here. And while we're way down here, we're supposed to be comparing ourselves to this measure of glory, what we're doing is we're looking at each other. Well, I'm better than him. So I must be doing pretty good. Oh, that guy's a slob. I got it going on. I, I, we compare ourselves by ourselves. And God's like, I never asked you to do that. Quit keeping up with the Joneses. It isn't based on, hey, my income is this much, so I have to have a TV this big. <laughs> He says, measure yourself by this standard. Get your eyes off of yourself. You, see, you, you receive honor from one another, but you do not seek the honor that comes only from God. And then verse 45, do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. They're, they place their value in Moses. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And in that, Jesus puts on us the importance of the Old Testament. And the, and the value as a Christian of the Old Testament is that it, all of it points toward our Savior. But more than that, or, or, or with, along with that, let's say, it points to the fact that we need a Savior. Savior. That is the intent and the purpose when it speaks of Moses, the writings of the law. The intent and the purpose of the law is so that you and I would see that we are desperately wicked, that we have fallen desperately short of the measure that God has given us. That is the intent and the purpose of the law. If you, with an honest heart, looked at the Ten Commandments and looked at your life, you would go over. You wouldn't get one of them. We all blow it. Well, I honored the Sabbath. I'm at church. 
okay, once, but have you been here every Sunday forever? And that's technically not even the Sabbath. I've never murdered anyone. Yeah, but if you've hated your brother in your heart, you've committed murder. I've never committed adultery. Yeah, but if you've lusted after a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery. You go over. That's what the intent and the purpose of the law. As we look at the Ten Commandments and go, God, I don't have a chance. And Jesus said, yeah, you don't have a chance. Except in me. Because I did it. I lived the Ten Commandments perfectly. That, that hole, that chasm in your life that, that has separated you from a perfect God, I bridged through the cross of Christ. The judgment has been rendered. You're found not guilty in me. And you can stand before a just God. And He can say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Not because of what you've done. Not because of what I've done. Because of what Jesus has done. So my prayer for us, as I mentioned earlier today, is that we would model what Jesus has modeled here, that we would change our lives and we would act more like Jesus. And that as individuals, you and I, for Christmas this year, would say it's not all about what we've got everybody else. Let me take a moment and say, what am I going to give Jesus? And what I want to give Jesus for Christmas this year is my surrendered heart. And that we would honestly and truly say, God, whatever you have, whatever you have for my life is what I want. And then we would take the next step, and not only we would do that as individuals, but we would come together as a faith family, Calvary Chapel Columbus, and we would honestly say, together as a church, whatever you want here on the corner of Bryce and Livingston, and as we scatter from this place, because we have people coming in from all over the city and from outside the city, we, we venture out into this community very well, that we would say, have your way with us, O oh God. We want to look more like Jesus. We want to live a surrendered life. We want to show that we love you by being surrendered to him. May we do that. May we strive for that. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Let's close in prayer. Yes, I went long. No, I'm not sorry. God, I thank you and praise you. I thank you and praise you for Jesus for the perfect example that He is. And for more than that, the sacrifice that He had become that I might have, that we might have life. And I pray for everybody in the sound of my voice that they have not accepted Jesus Christ, the work that, they have, that you have done, Jesus, on the cross, that today would be the day of salvation. That they would see that they are desperately short in their own works and they surrender their lives, their hearts. They place their faith in Christ and the work that He has done. And for those of us that have, that have already expressed that, uh, that are already saved and walking in You, I pray that this year that we would say, Lord, have Your way. Our desire is to simply to trust and to obey You. And that's how we will love you, is by being obedient. May we open our hearts to you. May we live, to live that surrendered life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.